Merry Christmas, friends, and welcome to the Word for Everyday Disciples with Dave DeSelm, a weekly podcast that brings biblical teaching to everyday people in ways we can understand and then put into practice. My name is Gwen DeSelm, and it is my pleasure to be your host for this special holiday episode. Bringing the Word to us today is our teacher, Dave DeSelm. Dave spent over 40 years in pastoral ministry and was the founding senior pastor of a church called Fellowship in Fort Wayne, Indiana. Currently, he is the executive director of Dave DeSelm Ministries, offering help and hope to everyday pastors through coaching and other resources. You can find out more about us at davedeselmministries.org. Well, the season of Advent has finally reached its climactic goal— Christmas is here, and oh, the joy that brings. Not just because of the family and the feasting, the gifts and the carols, as fun as all that is. Christmas joy is ours because Emmanuel has come. God is with us, with you, today and every day. So let's join Dave now for this final message in his series, The Advent of the King. Let's get our Bibles out, shall we, and open them up uh, to the book of Luke in chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone went to his own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. They were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. Now, to my way of thinking, this is the text that you have to turn to in the last week of Advent. This is the classic Christmas text. Everyone around the manger scene, we're all familiar with. Joseph and Mary are there, and the angels and the shepherds, and of course the baby. It's a classic, classic text. It needs to be read every Christmas. And for further justification of this, I would just remind all of you, this is the very text that Linus reads in A Charlie Brown Christmas. If you need any more reason to read it, it's because Linus did in Charlie Brown Christmas, all right? But as we reflect on those familiar words, I want to specifically draw your attention to verses 10 and 11. In fact, if you'd lift your eyes and voices, let's read those two verses out loud and together, shall we? Together. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. Good news, great joy for all people. One of the things I enjoy doing in these December days is getting the mail, and once I dispatch all the ads and flyers, I finally come across the cards that have come in for the day. And it's always so encouraging to read the update letters from old friends to see how their kids have grown and and so forth. 
And they get some of the neat cards from you and some of the comments that you write. It's always so special. Then I typically lay all that aside and pick up the newspaper. But this week, I was struck by something. After all the good news in those cards and letters, the newspaper that I read through this, this past week was filled with nothing but bad news. Have you noticed this? It's nothing but bad news. On the international scene, I read about another car bomb in Iraq, the war in Afghanistan, unrest in Congo, the economic turmoil in Europe, the ongoing national debt, rampant unemployment, bad news after bad news after bad news. And it wasn't just in the international scene. This week here was a bad news week for Fort Wayne, wasn't it? And two people died in a fire. You read about how two others were killed and then a suicide. A police officer is shot. Another youngster is killed in an automobile accident. And I thought, oh man, bad news doesn't take a break at Christmas, does it? But it goes well beyond that. Well beyond that. After I read through the front page section in the local bit, once more going through all the ads and all the advertisements, and the irony wasn't lost on me, but the end of that section was a listing of divorces. There were a hundred of them. A hundred people either filed or granted divorces just in time for Christmas. And I thought, those kids, what a present for them. The bad news, the difficulty. Then it goes to our local church. Just in recent days, a woman has discovered a mysterious slump in her breast. Another's mother died. Many FMCers were told that this was their last paycheck this month. Chest pain sent a man to the hospital, and a wayward child broke her mother's heart. Merry Christmas, huh? Merry Christmas. Maybe that's what you find yourself saying with a bit of cynicism this year. Merry Christmas. Notwithstanding all the lights, the darkness just seems to be pressing in on you this year, doesn't it? Others of you find yourself saying, somehow, the beautiful music notwithstanding, I just can't quite sing the carols like I could in years past. Not this year. It's a dark time. So where's the good news? Where's the good news of great joy? Well, in this text that we just read, I would like to remind you of three truths that maybe, just maybe, might increase your joy quotient, not only today, but hopefully for the days to come. Let me give you three thoughts, and if you'd like to jot them down in your notes, you're welcome to do so. Here's the first one. There were real forces that sought to stifle the good news. In that first century world, as well as in this 21st century world, there were real forces that sought to stifle the good news. You see, friends, in many ways, you're much like those people who lived back then. Look at verse 1. You may want to underline the first three words. In those days. In those days. You say, why should I underline that? Well, first of all, it calls us to a point of fact in history. Luke is saying, in effect, this is not myth or legend. This is not once upon a time-ish. In those days, there were some rulers. Quirinius was the governor of Syria. Syria was a large province of which Israel was a small portion. Quirinius is a person in history. You can look him up. He existed. And he was subordinate to, to one of the Caesars. In this case, it was Augustus Caesar. Again, you can look him up. He's a point of history. What we need to see is this speaks of a real world. This good news from the angels came to a real world. Moreover, it came to a really grim world. The world in the first century was hard. It was filled with violence, oppression, and perversion to the max. This was the world of the first century. As to the violence, all you have to do is stick around Bethlehem for a few more weeks. 
and the babies will all be killed, won't they? Cold steel will kill dozens of babies because a local petty king is afraid that he'll lose his throne to some newborn king. Some people have said to me, how come when I try to do a a Google search on the, the death of the babies in Bethlehem, why can't I find that in the history books? I'll tell you why. The reason why is it happened so frequently it was not worthy of making note of. Petty kings killed people all the time. Innocents were slaughtered all the time. A few dozen babies being killed in Bethlehem didn't even raise people's eyebrows. It happened all the time. These were days of violence, violence. Days of constant war, days of continual strife, days of murders and robberies. When Jesus told the story of the Good Samaritan, remember we talked about it a few weeks back? Every single hearer would have thought, I know somebody who's been robbed. Happened all the time. This was the first century. This was what the world was like. It was also a time not only of violence but of oppression. The distance between the haves and the have-nots was a wide gulf, and it was growing wider. And there were no government programs to help folks out. People, the vast majority of people, lived hard and died young. But there was racial oppression. You think we've seen prejudice and racism in our world? In the first century, it was to the max. If you had the wrong color skin, if you did not have the privileged bloodlines, you were racially profiled and you received nothing. This was the first century. There was political oppression. We read here in this text that a census was being taken. And we read that so easily, don't we? Well, that's nice. He wanted to count his people. Maybe he wanted to send some more government aid. Not on your life. Do you know why the census was being taken? Because Caesar was going to raise taxes yet again. And it would all fall on the backs of the poor. This was the first century world. The rights of the weak, cruelly trod under by the feet of the strong. And for the common man, there was no hope that he would ever know joy. This was what it was like. Violence, oppression, perversion. To be sure, there was sexual perversion in this day, but there was also other kinds of perversion. There was a callous disposability mindset. Infanticide was common. If the child was the wrong gender, if the child would be too many in the family, the child was simply killed. When the elderly did not have an oldest son to take care of them, they were thrown out into the streets to die. This was the first century. This is what it was like. I say all this so that when we read so easily of the angels saying to the shepherds, I bring you good news of great joy. Many of them were thinking just what you're thinking. Yeah, right. Come to my world and see what that's like. But it lets us know something. God is not intimidated by your situation. And he will not be deterred from invading it. You think about that. He is not scared of a mess. He's not scared of how messed up you are. He's not scared of how much people have messed up your life. He's neither intimidated nor is he hesitant. He came to this world to help us face the mess, to give us capacity to stand tall in the mess, even to make a difference 
in that mess and ultimately take us out of that mess. How's that? How's that? This is what the angel came to offer. But you need to know as well who the angel spoke to, because that's significant as well. And that's your second point. There were real faces that struggled to believe this good news. Verse 8 begins, and there were shepherds. You may want to circle that word. Let me talk to you just for a few months about shepherds. Most of the shepherds we're familiar with are about four feet tall, with a stick from the garage, daddy's bathrobe, and mom's scarf around their head. How many of you fellas, or girls for that matter, how many of you played a shepherd at least once in your life? Oh yeah, I was always a shepherd. Or maybe it could be a camel, I think it was a camel once, but I was a shepherd or camel. I never quite made Joseph, okay, but shepherd or camel. Let me remind you of something. As cute as those little shepherds are in the Christmas pageants, there was nothing cute about first century shepherds. Listen, these guys were neither miniature nor funny. They were lean, mean, ranching machines. Shepherds of the first century were rude and crude. They were rough and tumble. This was the word, oh, they carried sticks. But the sticks they carried were to fight off the wild animals that would come and attack their flocks or to do battle with rival shepherding groups. If you want to think about first century shepherds, go back to the the, uh, American West in about the 1850s. Picture the shepherds with six guns on their hips. One more step toward that sheep and you're a dead man, partner. All right. This was the first century shepherd. This is what it was like for these guys. All right. Now, obviously, I'm pressing the point, but this is what they were like. Do you know how they were considered? Shepherds were the dregs of society. Because they were constantly on the move, they were uneducated. So were their kids. Because they were constantly on the move, they had no permanent homes, so they were transient. Because they were on the move, they were typically very poor. It was a poor-paying profession. Finally, because they were on the move, they were not able to go to the temple to be ceremonially washed. So they were considered unspiritual. Poor, uneducated, unspiritual, transients. This was what it was like to be a shepherd in the first century. Nobody liked shepherds. Shepherds were not allowed to give a testimony in a court of law. They were looked down upon so much. This was, and yet, verse 8, does it strike you? To the shepherds, the angels came. To the shepherds. And it's making a profound point. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter where you live. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter what others think of you. You are not out of the realm of being a candidate for great news, of great joy. It doesn't matter how hardened you've become. It doesn't matter how soured on life you are. There's good news of great joy. God was not... He was not saying, okay, shepherds, let's everybody get happy. It's Christmas, you know? You can't hear that either. You don't want to hear that. Hey, get happy, everybody. You know the situation you're in right now? It's Christmas. Just be happy. Because you would say, yeah, sure. You don't know how hard it is for right now. The message of Christmas isn't get happy in the moment. It's grasp joy for the future. Grasp joy for how you can have capacity well beyond December 26th. You're listening to The Word for Everyday Disciples with Dave DeSelm. Dave will continue his message in just a moment. If you're enjoying this podcast, 
please take a moment to rate, review, and subscribe, and then help others find us by sharing this podcast with your friends and family. If you'd like to support us in this ministry, just go to davedeselministries.org and click on the donate button. Well, Dave and I are excited about what God is doing with Dave Desel Ministries, and we'd like to invite you to follow us on that journey by signing up to receive our weekly update. Get the latest DDM news and a personal word from Dave sent to your email inbox each Monday. You can subscribe to the weekly update on our website, davedeselmministries.org. Now let's return to Dave and the rest of today's teaching. Three words from verse 11 I want you to be reminded of. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. Underline the word today. Today. That is to say, Christmas joy is present. You can have a sense of Emmanuel. God is with me in the midst of my mess, in the midst of my pain, in the midst of my hurt. He's with me today. Will he be with me in the future? To be sure. But today, he'll be with you. Christmas joy is present. Notice the phrase, to you. Did you underline those words? To you. It's personal. Did he come to the world at large? Absolutely. But he also came to you. To you, shepherds. To you who nobody pays any attention to. To you who are among the least and the last and the lost. To you. And finally, a savior. Underline that word. Because it not only speaks about Christmas being present, and personal, but powerful. Another word for Savior is deliverer. He can deliver you not only in the midst of your circumstances, but only out of your circumstances. Because this baby who was born in a manger grew to be a man, and he gave his life on the cross. And today he sits at the right hand of the Father with enough wisdom and strength and guidance for every person in this room. This is the joy of Christmas. This is why you can be a shepherd and still rejoice. You have to wonder, though, did they really grapple with their cynicism? Did they think, that sounds too good to be true to me? You ever wonder why verse 12 is in the text? Maybe, in effect, the Lord knew these guys will not trust easily. So, look what the angel says. This will be a sign to you. Check it out. Check it out. You will find the baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Why did he say that? He was challenging the greatest skeptics and cynics of that day to see if the facts might be true. That's what I want you to see in the third point. There were real facts that served to verify the good news. You have to wonder as you look at verse 15 if there was an expansion of the discussion there. When angels had left them and gone to heaven... The shepherds said to one another, here's where I kind of expand it. What do you think, Charlie? My goodness, I've never seen anything like that before. I don't know. Bill, what do you think? Man, that's not true. Nothing will ever change for us. We're shepherds. Dan, what do you think? I don't. Why don't we just, let's go check it out. Who knows? Maybe, just maybe, it's true. So, they had the discussion And verse 16 says, they hurried to check out to see if maybe, just maybe, their skepticism notwithstanding, it could be true. They found Mary and Joseph, the baby who was lying in a manger. When they had seen him, notice they had to check out the facts. When they had seen him, then 
they spread the word concerning what had been told about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds were saying, the cynics were saying, the skeptics were saying, only after investigating. I love that that's there. Because you see, I can identify with the shepherds here. Some of you can too, for this reason. You come into this season and you've come into this service with more questions than answers. You're a skeptic. In fact, you're a cynic. I don't know that I buy this Christianity stuff. I don't know that I buy this baby in a manger growing up to die on a cross and sitting by the right hand of God the Father. I don't know that I buy that stuff. You know who I can identify with you? Because I was once where you're sitting. You see, I didn't want to become a Christian. I didn't plan on becoming a Christian. To my way of thinking, Christians were a bunch of mindless fools. And with my 20-year-old sophistication, I was determined I'd never, ever bow my knee to anybody, especially Jesus Christ. And someone said to me, check it out. How long, Dave, are you going to continue to quote college profs and your beer-drinking buddies? When will you dare to check it out for yourself and to see if maybe, just maybe, this Christianity is not rooted in historical fact and objective evidence? And I did. And I bowed my knee to Christ in the midst of my skepticism because I discovered something that spoke of truth beyond a reasonable doubt. And 40 years later, I'll tell you, it is the greatest decision I ever made. But I'll tell you this, I had to check it out, and so do some of you. And I hope you will. I hope you'll go to Bethlehem. You say, go to Bethlehem? Really? Well, I've been there. It's no great shakes now, but I've been there. No, I mean, euphemistically, Go check out the Bethlehem facts. Do some study. See if maybe your cynicism and your skepticism is born of less than good evidence. Check it out. And I think you'll discover, as I did, it's beyond a reasonable doubt that we celebrate Christmas. Verse 20. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they'd heard and seen, which were just as they'd been told. Let me ask you a question. Where did they return to? They returned to their sheep. Had anything changed? Was the night less cold? Were their stomachs less growling? Would they be treated better the next day by everybody else? Had the sheep somehow multiplied wonderfully during the night? They were going back to very joyless scenes and situations. They were going back to a cold, hard, prejudiced world. But something had happened. Not that their circumstances had changed, but they discovered one who was bigger than their circumstances, who would help them cope with their circumstances and would one day take them out of those circumstances. And you know what? That was enough. That was enough. They celebrated, glorifying, and praising God for the amazing thing they'd seen. Despite 2,000 years, friends, this Christmas really has not changed from that Christmas. There's a lot of bad news out there, and maybe you've received more than your fair share. 
But I would say to you what the angel said to the shepherds in verse 10. Do not be afraid. I bring you good news, great joy. Today, in the town of David, a Savior is born to you. He is Christ the Lord. And it doesn't matter what you're facing, what people think of you, or what circumstances you return to. When you grasp that, there's plenty of reason for joy. Let's pray. Joy to the world. The Lord has come. And though he began as a baby, he grew to a man, gave his life on the cross to pay for our sins, rose from the dead, and is seated by the right hand of the Father. He will ultimately rule the world. He will set all things right. He will make all things new. And he will wipe away every tear. Father, may that just seep into our souls. Because we will be going back out to our sheep shortly. A hard world. A cold world. Where we're poor and hungry and mistreated. But may this reality so change our way of looking at this hard life, that we really could have joy. I pray that when we see the lights, we'll recognize the darkness did not have the last word. When we sing the songs, we'll recognize that complaint doesn't have the last word. And then we look at Jesus coming in the midst of it, we recognize he wasn't afraid of a mess. May that encourage every one of us. And I especially, Lord, pray for the skeptics and the cynics like me. And I pray they go to Bethlehem, that they check things out, that they ask their questions, that they grapple with their doubts, and they'd recognize that against all odds, this isn't a foolish, childish faith. It's rooted in historical fact, based upon objective truth, and more than strong enough to bet your life on. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us for the Word for Everyday Disciples with Dave DeSelm. If you'd like to let Pastor Dave know how this message has blessed you, send him an email at dave at davedeselmministries.org. Then join us next time as we look to God's Word for help and hope as we follow Jesus every day.